Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series for 2018-2019. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Um, it's, it's, uh, I feel like I should give like, uh, an introduction to, to Rabbi Shmuley as well, although you know him. But, 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 but Rabbi Shmuley has been a, a pivotal figure in my development. We were, we were learning partners together in yeshiva and have stayed in very close dialogue and, and important dialogue in my life through these philosophical and theological questions. Um, let me give, though, a, another bio of myself, but just kind of a different kind of bio very quick, which is, to, which is just to say, like, how, like w- w- how did I get into all of this? And I think that it, on, on a basic level, uh, I decided at a certain point, as you know, some serious young people do, that I wanted to figure out what it meant to live a good life. Like, how, how, do, I, how do I become a good person, right? Like, these are the questions that I had when I was in college and trying to figure out what to do with my life. I, you know, tried several paths, but landed in religion and in the religion of my ancestors, um, and in a particularly, um, I would say, traditional um, setting. And the answer that I got there was, here's how to be a good person. Just follow the law. These are the laws. This is the Torah. There are laws in them. And if you follow them, that's how to live a good life, right? Pretty simple, just follow the law. Well, so OK. so I. I went and I, I, I studied the law, and I studied it a lot. And then I eventually got rabbinic ordination, which, which meant that I, was, I had studied it so much that I was able to, to rule in matters of law. And then I, 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 was, I was so interested in it that I went and I, and I got a doctorate in, in law, in legal theory. And so I've, I thought about um, law a lot. And the more I thought, thought about it, the, the more I realized it's, it's just not that simple. It's not, it's not as simple as, as just, well, follow the law and then you'll be a good person. Not, not only uh, outside of Ju- Judaism, but within Judaism. Right? That, that idea that you could just follow the law, first of all, it's not, it's not clear uh, always what it means to follow the law. But, but more to, to the point of our topic today, it's not always clear that following the law is equivalent to doing the right thing. And we could talk about ways um, in which the law um, feels like it's in opposition or contradiction to the right thing. That's, that's one uh, area of, of conversation that we could go into in Jewish law. But for today, I'm not going to, we're not going to tackle those questions, though they're very important questions. What, what happens when we inherit a law and it feels ethically problematic? Today, we're going to talk about a different kind of question, um, which is, um, what happens when um, the law doesn't seem to do enough for us? When it doesn't seem to give us enough of a roadmap to figuring out how to live a good life? 
how to, as I, my title suggests, how to be a mensch. The very fact that we have a, we have a phrase, being a mensch, right, suggests that there's something else. There's some other thing, like just being a good person, not following the Torah or following the mitzvot, but being a, a mensch, which in Yiddish just means like a man, but, but, but it has come to mean being a, a, a stand-up person, a good person. Okay, so we're gonna think a little bit about these two categories, law and the other category that I would call ethics, and I'll try to give us a sense of how they overlap and don't overlap in Jewish life. But before um, we go into it, just to like give us a feeling for, the, for what we're talking about, um, let's, let's consider two kind of areas of law and ethics. Um, one, uh, let's think about vice. And the other is we'll think about social services. Okay, so let's think about vice first. Adultery, okay? Adultery, cheating on one's partner. I think we could, like, who thinks that that is wrong to cheat on one? And I, I'm not saying, uh, I'll just make it explicit. Your partner doesn't know you lie to them and cheat on them. You can have some, people have all kinds of weird arrangements, that's fine, but I'm talking about like, you deceive your partner and sleep with someone else. Who thinks that that's wrong? Right, okay. Well, you're in, you're, 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 in, you're in good company. God seems to think so too, right? Because it's in the Ten Commandments. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Now, who thinks that it should be illegal to commit adultery and that you should be punished for it? By law. You should maybe jailed. Fine. Nobody. That's, it's interesting because uh, it is one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt, who thinks that you should be punished for killing or for stealing, right? Like, I'm sure we'll get some hands. Those are Ten Commandments. And yet, um, and, and it is the case that in, in ancient Jewish society, in many ancient societies, adultery was illegal and punishable. And, and people would be punished, in, and still today, right, in, in many societies, people can be punished in the public square for committing adultery, right? Um, punished very, very severely. So we still think that adultery is wrong, or at least, you know, as I said, a certain form of deceiving adultery is wrong, but something has happened where we think, well, it's not a good idea to sanction people for it. It's not a good idea to jail people for it. It's not a good idea to, to, to publicly, um, uh, publicly lash or burn people for adultery, right? Uh, we still have the death penalty for some crimes, but that's not one of them. In fact, there's really no, maybe in, in divorce proceedings, it can be a factor in how, uh, how, how assets are allocated. But other than that, there's no real punishment for adultery. So that gives us a sense that somehow, as a society, we have maintained the ethic against adultery, but we have decided that the law should pull back. The law should not extend to, to enforce what we still think is a, an ethical notion, a moral notion, okay? And I could, we could, I'm, I'm speaking of adultery as a vice, you know, like sex as a vice. I could think of other vices, like is it, is it good to get drunk every single day? Probably a lot of us would think that it's not good. We tried to make that illegal in this country and it was a disaster, so we pulled back from it. Now, it's still probably not a good idea. It might even be immoral. You can make a case that it's immoral to be rip-roaring drunk every day, but we're not gonna make it uh, up. We have other punishments. Maybe public drunkenness will be illegal. Maybe um, drug driving will be illegal, but just drinking to excess, though it may be um, a bad idea, may even be immoral, is, not, is no longer punishable by law in this country. Though again, there are societies, even today, that would punish it. Okay, so that's the realm of vice, and we can see how the law 
has pulled back, though it might have, uh, just like it's wrong to kill or steal, it might have um, legislated that it's wrong to have certain kinds of sex or certain kinds of uh, intoxication. Okay, social services. Same sort of question of how much the law should cover, but, but here the answers, um, the consideration is different. Do you, now, now this is controversial of course, but do you think that everyone in our society should um, have medical services when they are sick? Do you think that that is a good thing for everyone to have medical services? Yeah. Yes. Now, if I would ask you, should the government pay for medical services for everybody? Some people, we're having that debate. So some people probably would nod yes, and some people would say, mm, I don't know if the government should pay for it. I'm not sure that that's wise, right? Oh, what about housing, right? Because we're not having that debate, so maybe that's easier. Should everyone have a roof over their heads? Is that a good, does a good society put a roof over everyone's head? Should the government pay for a house for everybody? You, you have an answer. We, yeah, shouldn't our, shouldn't our tax, no, but the government would mandate that we pay, that we put money into the pool for, and then the government would um, take care of the, of the housing infrastructure, right? It would be an officially um, mandated program that would sanction you if you did not participate, right? I think most people believe that we should provide, that, 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 um, that everyone in society should, should be able to receive medical services. I think most people believe that we should take care of the homeless. But the debate is, should we do it um, by force? Or should it be elective, right? People on the political right don't think that um, homeless people should just die in the streets. They think we should, take care of them through charitable acts, that you can't mandate it. Or other, th other arguments could be made, like, no, this, this, this encourages people not to work or to, right? So we could, there are reasons why some people want to extend the law to make sure that it provides social services, and other people think, no, that's not something that the law should dictate. That should be an ethical mandate. We should do it because we're trying to be a mensch, trying to, as a society, trying to be good people. Okay, so those are the sorts of conversations that I wanna have with you today and to try and figure out where's the line? Like where are we drawing that line in our society and where was it drawn in Jewish society, right? Um, because we have laws on the books in our society and we have laws in the books in Jewish society and I think if we look at them, sometimes we are gonna find that they're not enough and sometimes, thanks so much, and sometimes we're gonna find that they are a bit too much, okay? So uh, we're about to head in, but before we head in, um, we need to do one more thing, which is to um, come up with some working definitions for, for, for law and for ethics. What's the difference between law and ethics? Would anyone wanna try and, what, maybe the easier thing to say is, what, uh, what are ethics? What do I mean when I say ethics? Yeah. Values. Values, good, okay. Val val virtues, values, okay. Moral code. Moral code. And what does that mean? That when you, and you have a choice with it. Okay, good, that's, that's, that, that fits into the, to, to what we've been discussing. Ethics are the things that um, uh, 
the realm of things that are right and wrong, good and bad, that we are not forced to do. Okay, that's a little imprecise, but it's accurate. Okay, we'll make it precise in a second. What is law? Required. Required. Laws is required. Now, is our, so that's, we already have all the information we need, but now just to probe it a little bit, is law, is what is required by law um, that which is good and right? And what is forbidden by law that which is bad and wrong? I'm seeing some shaking heads. Depends who wrote the law. Depends who, it does, it does depend. Yeah, you want to add to that? Well, Justice Learned Hand said. Oh, very nice. Um, that we can't put our faith in freedom uh, and democracy as a result of the laws, but it lives in the hearts and the minds of the people. Essentially, something like that. Okay, good. Okay, He's giving. To me, that means that the laws reflect the collective consciousness of the people who wrote the laws. And when I say collective consciousness, I mean the, sort of the ethical sophistication of the people who wrote the laws, the community that agrees to make the laws. And so they're only as good as, 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 as the thoughts and aspirations and level of consciousness that the people Okay, beautiful. So, and I'm just repeating this for the microphone, but the laws reflect the collective consciousness of the society that formulated those laws, the, the legislators, right? Beautiful, yes? Uh, I think we can tolerate a plurality of ethical systems coexisting in ways that it's more difficult to, uh, to do when it comes to a legal system. Now, the Jewish community is a mess because we have pluralism different ways of engaging in Jewish law. That's a beautiful thing about argumentation. But in society at large, there's no like plurality of laws you can choose to follow or not follow in Arizona, uh -huh. right? Whereas I think in the ethical systems, we understand there can be a debate within that. Okay, that's, that's, a, very, that's a very interesting point, that there can be, um, there, it's, it's chaotic for a society to have more than one legal system. The chaotic maybe in for, for religion, though that can happen. Um, but we can imagine a society that has more than one ethical system, or to put it differently, just disagreements over what ethics are. And that's a helpful clarification because it is true that um, we are not always sure what is right and wrong. That's gonna be part of the problem here. We're not always certain what is, what is ethical, what is moral, but we know what the law is, or at least we know um, what, the, what the law states itself as being. We can debate exactly how it's applied, but it is more certain what the law is than what the, what the, uh, the ethical uh, good is. Yeah. I think we see today with the law with uh, cannabis. At a state level, many states, there's legality to it. But at a federal level, it's still illegal. Right. So there is, they live in a, a different dichotomy because they can't use the banking system, they can't use credit cards, their taxes are all a little hokey, and they can be shut down at any time. So there is, in society, it's interesting. There can even be competing right. legal systems, though there too, to use um, Rabbi Shmuley's phrase, the, the, it becomes a mess, right? right? Exactly. We generally want one legal system, um, though it, be, it would be hard to claim, we're searching for, but it'd be hard to claim that there is one ethical code that we all know and agree on. Okay, so let me, so all of everything that's been said so far is, is I think helpful and correct. Let me just give some very simple 
um, frameworks for thinking about this, which is, and this is what I'm hearing so far, and I agree, that the, the law is um, the system um, of, uh, the system that tells you what you must do or must not do, right? That which you can do or cannot do as backed by some sort of sanction, right? Ethics are the system that tells you what one should do or should not do, what one ought to do or what one ought not to do, okay? And those two things, those are, those are different, right? One is a requirement and the other is, uh, uh, is an encouragement. What you ought to do, what you should do is different than what you absolutely must do. Now, um, tell me your name again. David. David said, um, well, hopefully we're trying to write the laws in such a way that they overlap somewhat with that which one ought to do, what one should do. The laws should be written in accordance with some moral principles, right? But we know that, that it is not a direct overlap. We've already seen that there are things that we think are um, good and right, that one ought to do or ought not to do, that we still think the law should not encompass. And by the way, on the other end, we can imagine laws that have nothing to do with moral virtues, right? Like um, what, so I'm gonna give two examples. Um, one is uh, uh, jaywalking. We don't think of jaywalking as an immoral act, though it could be, right? Well, how, how might jaywalking be an immoral act? Causes death. Yeah, causes death. Maybe, so maybe it is. So in other words, we think of law as maintaining social order and not necessarily maintaining virtue, but social order has its own virtue, right? We don't want carnage in the streets, right? That wouldn't be murder, but it would be death, and that's, that's bad. But then um, the fact that we pay our taxes on April 15th, right? That's correct, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's coming up. Um, that's not, that's arbitrary. That's not moral or immoral, that's arbitrary. Although even there, you might say, well, it's, again, it's a, it's a function of order and it would be chaotic if people are paying their taxes at all. Their, so maybe, maybe order in itself is a, is a kind of virtue, but there we've gone pretty far afield from, from re, a real ethical principle. It's, it's, it's right for me to pay my taxes on April 15th, right? So you can see how these, um, imagine two, because, uh, you know, the, the obvious Venn diagram where one is law and one is ethics, and there's overlap in between, and we might even try to get these two circles to totally overlap, but um, as we're soon gonna see, and as we've already begin, begun to talk about, we're never going to have them completely one on top of the other, okay? So now we're gonna dive in to some Jewish um, discussions around how that overlap works. Before we do, we have one question. Yeah, fair enough. There, there is, a, 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 as we started to suggest, there's a way in which following laws itself can be seen as, as an ethical good because it maintains order in society and that's, that 
order it has a moral quality to it, right? We don't want chaos. That seems to ruin people's lives. And, and if we feel like part of what human society is about is, is, is uh, flourishing, then chaos diminishes that flourishing. And therefore, um, uh, following the law is, is ethical. But, but I would just be, um, I, I, I would just be careful about um, suggesting the idea that, um, that l following the law is equal to morals. Because, um, and, and, and again, that's sort of what I was told when I first went off to yeshiva. The law is ethics. Law will, if you follow the law, that will encompass your entire ethical life. And the part of the reason I want to have this conversation with you is because it's, it's pretty easy in American law to see that our laws do not constitute our, the full range of our, our, of our ethical um, values, we don't even want them to, right? We want to live in a society that allows people to live the different kinds of moral lives, right? The freedom of religion suggests that in itself. But in Jewish law, it is more tempting to believe or to suggest that maybe the law should cover everything because after all, who is the legislator here, theoretically? Theoretically, well, it's the rabbis, and before that, it's Moses, and before that, it's the Torah. It's God, right? That is to say, there's at least some notion that whether, um, whether it's, it's the exact word of the almighty deity or whether it's just like our, our, our work of trying to figure out um, what our contact with God, uh, you know, like some, some more philosophical or modern version of it. Still, the idea is, um, these commandments are meant to, to, to produce a good life. So it's tempting to think they should overlap with, eth with ethics. And yet we will soon see that that is uh, not the case. That is to say, even according to the, the, the holders, the carriers of the law, um, the rabbis themselves, it's not so clear that it's a one-to-one. -one. Okay, so we're going to look um, first, just to sort of get into the topic, at, at what I think is a relatively... Um, Fun, nice, easy, pleasant case. And then we're going to look at one that's really, really quite difficult. Okay? So the first case is, comes from um, the Talmud um, in Tractate Bava Metzia, which is a tractate that deals with, um, with contracts and torts and damages. There's, there's a whole section of the Talmud called Nizikin that deals with what we would think of as, as tort law or damages, but, but, then, but extends into all sorts of civil disagreements. Right? Uh, that is to say, disagreements over money and property. Okay, and that's going to be one of the disagreements um, that 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 we're going to see here. Okay, so let's just uh, broken it up here so we can go one line at a time. Can I get some readers? Ginny, you want to read the first line? Ginny, I know you, right? We've met before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice to see you again. Okay. So we'll just go one line at a time. Uh, some porters broke a barrel of wine they were carrying for Rabbasan of Barchanan. He took their garments. Okay. So. People carrying Rabba Bar Barachana, Rabba the son of Barachanan, and um, he took their garments. Why did he take their garments? Why? Payment. Right. They, they, they ruined his goods. He, he suffered a loss, and so he's getting payment from them. What do you think? Good idea? Is that okay? No. no. Oh, some disagreement? Yeah. Yeah, why? It's only right. They, they, they damage his, they ruined his, his property, they, they ruined his stuff, and so they have to pay that back. If they don't, what's that called? Stealing. 
Stealing, right? They owe him some money. But I heard no. Why no? Because there were, was there intent? Oh, so maybe it's, maybe it's, it, maybe intentional damage is different than unintentional damage. And what else is, yes? Were they being paid or were they doing it as a favor? Good, if you screw up at work, right, and, and something gets, do you want to owe your company uh, the value of this computer, right? Like maybe while you're on the clock, you know, they hired you and your skills and too bad that your skills weren't good enough, but there's a different, um, there's a different payback system when you are an employee or an extension of the company. This is, in, in, in that formulation, this is Rabba who did it. They are an extension of him. So he can't, he can't take their personal funds to make up for, um, for the professional losses, okay? So debate there, but he took their garments, okay? Um, let's, let's keep going. They came and reported this to Rav. Rav said to him, give them the crack. Okay, so Rav is uh, a higher authority. In fact, he was such a high authority that um, we don't refer to him by his name, but just by his title, Master. They came to Master Rav, and Rav said, give them their garments, okay? In other words, Rav sided with, what's your name? Your, uh, Rhonda. With Rhonda. Rav and Rhonda are on the same side. Okay, um, uh, let's keep going. Yes, is that the law? Okay, that's an interesting question because they went to Rav presumably because Rav is a legal authority. He's the decider in the case. He's the higher up. And they went to him and they, and, and they said, okay, so decide this case. And he's like, okay, yeah, I decided the case. Pay them back. And then he comes and he says, wait a minute. Is that the law? Now that's a strange question. What does he mean by it? Yeah, do I have to? Or are you just telling me it, you should do that? Uh, which is a funny question for a judge. Are you just saying this is a good idea? Or presumably the judge is only saying this is what you have to do, um, but he's questioning it. In other words, he's saying, it doesn't sound like the law to me. What you just said sounds like you might be telling me an ethical principle and not a legal principle. Okay, so let's see what he's, how he replies. Next, next reader. Mm -hmm. Ralph replied, yes, in accordance Okay, so Rob's answer is, yes, that's the law. Hmm, is that true? You don't think so. Interpretation. Why, why don't you think so? He, he, good, good. He has a proof text, and that's what we do in Jewish, in Jewish law. We give proof text. He says, you shall go in the ways of the good. So, he's, so now wait a minute, what's your name? Well, Ken, Ken says, well, it doesn't sound right, but, but he has a proof text, Ken. So what do you do with that proof text? That clearly is support for his position. Isn't this the ways of the good? He's quoting Proverbs 2.20. Mm -hmm. Is that good enough? It's, not, it's actually not good enough. And this, this, is, the, this is the part that I, 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 that, I, that I wouldn't necessarily expect you to know, but you can feel it. We don't use Proverbs as a, as a legal source. Proverbs is a bunch of nice things to say. It's, wis it's wisdom literature. And, and by the way, does this wisdom literature so that you will go in the ways of the good show that you have to um, pay, pay people, um, or that you cannot dock people for the damages they did on your company? No, it doesn't say that at all. It just says be a good person, which is why Ken said it just sounds like a should. Be a good person, right? So there's a funny thing going on here where where they're asking a legal authority and the legal authority is saying, just do it. 
And when he's asked to back it up, he says, well, you know, we have some, we have some nice, um, we have some nice uh, teachings that, that support the idea that you should, just, you should just do it. You should be a good person. But there's something fishy here. There's something like that doesn't quite line up. And the only way the good would be that the people that broke the line would then give him their clothes so that he could then be paid for Oh, why don't they go in the way? That's, that's a great question. If it, it's such a broad principle. If everybody should be as good as they possibly can be, so then I should be trying my best to make your life good, and you should be trying your best to make my life good, and everybody should be extending themselves as much as possible, and that's great, but you know what that's not? Is a law. That's not a law. And that, that's part of why um, th th this debate is happening. Like, wait a minute, but we have a, we have a dispute here. It would be fine if we all just wanted to help each other as much as possible. I'd be trying to give you your garments, you'd be trying to pay me back, we'd all be, but that's, we have a debate, and that's where law comes into play. So we need a law here, and what Rob is giving us is seemingly an ethical principle. Does anyone want to make the opposite case, though, that he's giving us a law? No, no. All right, well, let's keep going. He's going to do this, basically the same thing again. Let's just see if the second pass gives us any, any, uh, any, further, uh, any further sense of, of where he's coming from. Yeah. I'm going to take a stab at, at supporting that it's a law. Because earlier, when you talked about the differences between a law and ethics, you said that the law comes with sanctions. Mm -hmm. and therefore, you implied that ethics don't come with sanctions. But I might say that ethics could well come with sanctions. It's just that from our level of awareness, they're not discernible. Mm. And so... Beautiful, beautiful, so beautiful. Be I'm going to just get some water. Beautiful. I love this. I love this. And, and what you're saying essentially is that um, you're bringing us to the complication with Jewish law, which is that isn't this all about trying to be a good person? So you're asking me, he may be saying, look, I know I'm a rabbi and I'm supposed to answer your legal questions, but the whole point of the law is that we're trying to do what's right and there are sanctions. God will punish us if we don't do what's right. So this is essentially the law, right? Okay, but, but it doesn't, but it still doesn't, doesn't take us out of the mess, right? Because the other side can say, well, wait a minute though, we're, we're poor and we like, you're gonna send us home naked and you know, how is that, you know? Okay, so let's just take one more pass out. We'll read it again. Where, where were we? I said to him, we are poor, and we have worked the entire day, and we're exhausted, and we have nothing to show. Oh my gosh, now what do they want? Money. They want money, but they broke all of my stuff. You just broke all the computers in my office, and now you want to get paid for your day's work? Kidding me? All right. <laughs> Go ahead, Julie. Rob said to him, Go, give them their wages. Okay, and Rhonda? He said to them, he said to him, is that the law? Same question. And then finally? He replied, yes, in accordance with Proverbs 220, and you, should, you will keep the past of the right. Okay. And, and, now, and, and now it almost sounds like he's just playing around. Because you see where he's, <laughs> now, see with Proverbs 220, this is just the continuation of the verse. Right? He's just like, yeah, you remember what I said? Just like, be, it's not like now he's got another place that justifies paying back workers even when they've damaged. Now, what do you think, by the way? Do you think that he should, they worked for him all day, they broke his things, should he pay them? Half. Half, half. A lower wage. Okay, fine, yeah. Well, was, this, was it the original arrangement that they would get paid 
And it's that, yes, because they paid for the damages that they did, but they still did. Are you, are you a lawyer? <laughs> okay, <laughs> thinking like a lawyer. What, what, what's, the, what's the contract say? And this is why we contract for things like this. But it seems like actually they must not have had original arrangement or they wouldn't be, yeah. Well, I have a specific situation. Some people that I hired to do things broke this light fixture in my warehouse and I had to pay them for their time and I couldn't charge them for that damage mm. because it was done on my payroll. Okay. 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 So, 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 so this is the question here gets trickier, right? First, we were wondering whether someone on the on the, on the job has to pay for whatever they break, and we had different thoughts about it, but we could understand why someone shouldn't have to pay for something in, that happens in the course of their workday. Now we're wondering whether someone who broke things on the job should get paid. And again, we, can, we know, uh, we have legal references and, and we can come up with reasons why even so, maybe you're not gonna hire them tomorrow, but you paid them to do, they weren't just hanging out, they were doing your work and they did it badly, but you still have to pay them for their time, right? They have to decide who bears liability. Right, but the problem is, in this case, Jewish law mandates that workers get paid at the end of the day for the work that they've done. Right, right. That's what it says in the Torah. But it doesn't say anything about what happens when they damage the property. Does that nullify the principle of paying them at the end of the day or not? Well, you're saying no. And, and guess who agrees with you? Rav says no. Rav says the minimal law as, it is, as we have inherited it is not enough to live out all of our principles. Now, what are all of our principles? Is Rob saying there's more to the law than just the law? There's also proverbs and just living a good life and being a good person and we wanna try and extend the law to include those things? Or is Rob saying this is included in the idea of you should pay the worker at the end of the day? It doesn't say anything but that, so that means you have to pay them no matter what. Yeah. I'm just going to say cost of doing business, but mm -hmm. I was also going to say that, that it's almost like double dipping here, too. That the intent was almost to punish them twice. First, give them your gar garments because you broke something that was, and this, this is an exchange. And then, they, they, you know, they're, they can't forfeit their pay also. I mean, it's so it was like a double punishment when it really shouldn't be any punishment because it's the cost of doing business. Right, right. You can imagine the judge splitting the difference. You can imagine the judge saying, look, they don't have to pay for it, but you don't have to pay them either, right? But in this case, the judge says, no, the law, we're not even clear what he's saying. Is he saying the law actually includes all of these things? Or come on, don't give me that, is, is this the law? We're trying to do more than the law. Right? But one way or another, he's phrasing it in the language of law. The law should extend, not just to paying people for the work that they've done, but sometimes paying for them for the work that they didn't quite do, but that you had, that you had contracted them to do. Right? And that's, that's, we need that. Why do we need that? Why is that important? Why is he saying that's an ethical principle? Why not just? Right, because there's a power dynamic here that we're worried about. They say we're poor. 
Right? It might be different, it was two equals, right, who were doing a job together, but they were working for Rav and we're worried that poor people are vulnerable and disadvantaged and so, right, does this start, start to sound familiar? And so we need to extend the social services in our society even though they might not have earned it or deserve it because we don't want to live in a society where people are just going home starving. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. Right? So, yeah, that's not the law, but it is the law. We're going to make it the law. Right? That's one example of, of, uh, of, a, of a Jewish legal thinker saying, the law on the books, either you don't understand the fullness of it, or frankly, it just doesn't cover everything that we have to do. So I, as a legal adjudicator, am going to extend the line. Okay? Okay. This idea, right, well, now we're going to look at a more difficult case, but as we head into this case, I want to give you like an, uh, a reference point that's gonna, that our next case is going to center around. This idea of extending the line, of making the law bigger than it is, has a, um, a very classic phrasing in rabbinic literature, and the phrasing is asu sayag Torah, which means make a fence for the Torah. Well, let's take a look at it, actually. Maybe that, that'll be the, let's take a look where that first appears. It first appears in um, Pirkei Avot, The Ethics of the Fathers. And this is the very first teaching in Pirkei Avot. It's like, there, now, uh, the very fact that we refer to it as The Ethics of the Fathers, it's not actually called that, it's called Pirkei, the Chapters of the Fathers, but we refer to it as The Ethics of the Fathers, or The Ancestors, if we don't, don't want to be gendered about it. Um, we refer to it as The Ethics of the Fathers because um, these don't seem to be laws. They, this, Ch this one chapter of the Mishnah, or of the Talmud, um, includes teachings like, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? Right? The fam famous, uh, or on three things the world stands, on Torah, on service, uh, and on acts of kindness. Right? Th these are the sorts of famous sayings. We love them. We talk about them. They're, they're classics because they, they articulate some of our sacred ethics. But they usually are not thought of as laws. They are the ethical teachings of the rabbis, which gets to the point of our conversation. This is the very first uh, opening of the ethics of the fathers, and here's where the idea of the fence for the Torah comes up. Um, let's keep reading. Moses received the Torah from Sinai and gave it over to Joshua, and Joshua to the elders, and the elders to the prophets, and the prophets gave it over to the men of the great assembly. And they said three things. Be deliberate in judgment, raise up many students, and make a fence for the Torah. Okay, make a fence for the Torah. That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time considering. Now, um, we're going we're to uh, figure out what exactly it means to make a fence for the Torah. But before we even get there, let me ask you. They said three things. Be deliberate in judgment, raise up many students, and make a fence for the Torah. Remember, Moses received the Torah and passed it on down. Are those three things the Torah? Is that part of what Moses received? It seems like we have this chain of transmission, and then it, it results in these three teachings. Are those three teachings the Torah, or are they something else? Something else. Something else, commentary? Yeah. yeah. I think there's, there's something else there about in the deliberate in the judgment is to study, is to debate, and come to an understanding of what is said. Uh, as being said, raise up many students allows it to go on. For if we don't teach and move uh, 
create many who uh, understand, and um, then when we are gone, it can stop. Okay, and similarly, make a fence for the Torah. The way you're, tell me your name? Robert. What Robert's saying is, these are almost meta-legal principles. It's not the Torah, it's about like, how do you do the Torah? How do, okay, we have laws, now how do we, how do we carry out these laws? And that might not be law itself, it's just, it, it might be ethics. It might be like, how does, a, how does a judge really reflect on her work? You know, like how does a judge think about what she's doing? Well, she should be careful when she makes a decision. She didn't just roll it out there, right? So that's not the law, that's a, a way of thinking about the law, right? Teach it to a lot of people. Right? That's not a law, but it, it helps for the good functioning of the law. And similarly, make offense for the Torah. It's not the Torah, it's something... Now, okay, so now we have to figure out what does it mean, make offense for the Torah? Okay, but before we do, we have a comment. When we're speaking about the judge, the importance that the judge must know the law in order to render, a, let's say, a, 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 good, a good judgment within the parameters of her understanding or something. That's right. There can be all kinds of ethics that a judge brings to her occupation that aren't the, just the law itself, but just sort of a, a wider understanding of what it means to, to, to adjudicate and the, the implications, the moral implications of adjudicating. Okay, now we have to figure out what is offense for the Torah. So, um, will anyone have a sense of, of, of what offense for the Torah is? I saw a little hand go up there. No? No? Yeah. If you're not going to exactly obey the Torah, there has to be some room beyond which you cannot go to defile the Torah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, make offense for the Torah is make a, an area around the Torah that you don't let people go past because you're worried that if they go that far, they're going to go all the way, okay? And this, this principle comes up very, very like early on. It's actually in the first Mishnah ever taught. Uh, not, not exactly in this formulation, but this idea that like, the part of what the rabbis saw as their job is to like, make sure, to, in other words, to legislate. To, to legislate upon legislation. Make sure that there's a buffer. So here's a, here's a classic example. Um, in Jewish law, can you eat a cheeseburger? No, no, that should be uh, simple, right? No, no cheeseburger. What about a chicken cheeseburger? <laughs> well, it, okay, good. It, the chicken cheeseburger, you can eat. Don't, don't, whoa, whoa. Don't run out of this room to, to saying that Rabbi Kasher, no, but you should be able to because it comes from the principle that you should not cook a kid in its, like a goat, baby goat, in its mother's milk. Now, why that is? Lots of commentary interpretation. Maybe it's hum the, the inhumaneness of slaughtering uh, an animal and then, and then in, in, in its own parents. You know, you can imagine just there's something just gross about the whole. The whole okay, but that, uh, that, that means only goats. That's only goats. The only goat cheese cheeseburgers. But you know, maybe it's anything that can be cooked in its own mother's milk. So cows too but it certainly doesn't include chickens because they don't make milk, right? But the rabbis thought, too bad for us, the rabbis thought that, you know, if you start eating chicken cheeseburgers all the time, sooner or later, someone's gonna hand you a cheeseburger, you're just gonna eat it, because you're just used to eating cheeseburgers, 
right? Oh, it's, oh right, for the, for the general good, for the maintenance of no cheeseburger law, no chicken cheeseburgers either, right? There's a certain psychological assumption there that once we do something, we get close to doing something. Here's another example that's probably a little uh, uh, closer to home. Do you want your children smoking pot? Right? Do you want them to smoke pot? Right? Maybe, maybe, maybe the answer is easy. Maybe it's like, no, I never want them touching intoxicants of any sort. But maybe it's complicated because maybe you don't think it's such a bad idea to smoke pot. Maybe you smoke pot yourself, but you're really worried that they're gonna do heroin. God forbid they should ever touch that. And you're worried that if they smoke pot, then they'll do some other drug and some other, and sooner or later they're gonna do all the bad drugs and they're gonna be, they're gonna die, they're gonna be a wretch. So no smoking pot. You can see how that sort of legislation happens, okay? All right, now we're gonna head into a case, um, and this is, unlike the first one, this is a little bit of an imagined case, but it's still, you can see the rabbis playing out this principle of how far does the law extend. Okay, so here is um, a commentary on, just like the Talmud comments on the Mishnah, a commentary on Pirkei Avot. This is Avot de Rabbi Natan, long rabbinic commentary on uh, so what they'll do is they'll take a little piece. Here we're going to take the piece, make a fence for, around the Torah, and they're going to give you an, an application, an interpretation of it. Uh, all right, where are we in our, in our go-round? And make a fence for the Torah. That is, make a fence around your works, the way that the first person made a fence around his Okay, that's weird in all kinds of ways. First of all, you can see they switched it, like make a fence around your words, which now sounds like it's not just the Torah, but just whenever you say you should ha bring this principle of caution, don't tell people something, I don't even know what they mean by it. And then they're like, just like the first person, Adam, made a fence around his words. Okay, I don't know what that means. We have to dive in to see. So let's, let's see. What is the fence that Adam made around his words? See, it says in Genesis 2, the Lord God commanded Adam, from every tree of the garden you are free to eat but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil do not eat. For on the day you eat from it, you surely, you will surely die. But Adam did not want to tell Eve in the same way that the Holy Blessed One had told him. Instead, he said this to her, and thus made a fence around his words, making them more than what the Holy Blessed One had said to him. God said not to eat from the tree that is in the midst of the garden, nor touch it, lest you die. He wanted to keep himself and Eve from even... Oh, okay. So here we go. What's the law? Don't eat from the fruit. What's the punishment? Death. Death. Okay. Now, what's the fence? Don't even touch the, 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 the tree. Okay. And now that's like... And it's like new law. It's just like... Rob's saying, oh no, that is the law. Don't worry about it. Don't you worry about it, okay? Um, except in this case, it's not uh, an esteemed legal authority saying to a lesser legal authority, but uh, a, a, a husband saying to his wife, right? There are gender problems here. We'll get to them eventually, <laughs> but, but there are gender problems in the whole story. So we'll, whatever, we'll keep that in mind. Um, but but one, way or another, uh, one way or another, Adam is um, superior to Eve in one way, which is that he existed just second, you know, seconds before she did. So he, he heard the commandment from God and now is relaying it to Eve. Now, I want to ask you, is Adam doing something good for Eve? Is he being nice to Eve, kind to Eve, thoughtful to Eve? 
What do you think? Yes. Some people are saying yes, because why? why? Because he's protecting her from even getting close to eating it. Adam doesn't want Eve to die. What's, that's so nice. He doesn't want Eve to die. And so he's worried that if she gets too close, if she smokes pot, right? If she gets too if she eats that chicken cheeseburger, sooner or later she just, oh, she's going to be hungry. And, and by the way, it's, pretty, it's, it's interesting to say he wants to keep himself away too. It's not just that he thinks that she's some lesser He's worried. He thinks this is the way humans are. They get too close to something. Sooner or later, they eat. Yes? He's changing the words from God. He just the script. Yeah, so, but wait a minute. How does Adam get away with this? God Almighty said so. That's all there is to it. That's the law, right? And that's where we start in Judaism. This presumption that the words of the Torah represent God's eternal will. And, and we're not supposed to add to them or take away from them. But that we, we so just notice. Right. But you're supposed to go. Okay. So no, notice that the, the, the rabbis think that you are supposed to build a fence. They were never told to build a fence in the Torah. That's their principle of how they think they can protect the law best. Okay. Now, just um, for the purpose of, of just, just so you don't think the rabbis, uh, it, one of my pet projects is, making sure people know that the rabbis don't just come up with things out of nowhere. They always, always have a basis in the text. And here in the text, there is a, a reason why they're saying what they're saying. And uh, if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, you'll see, just so you have an under, uh, understanding of where rabbinic inter interpretation comes from, um, you see that it says, the snake was the shrewdest of all the wild beasts that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you should not eat of the tree of the garden? Notice he's only speaking to Eve. The woman replied to the snake, we may eat of the fruit of the other trees of the garden. It's only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat of it or touch it, lest you die. Part of what the rabbis are doing is dealing with this like textual inconsistency. And they're like, hmm, what happened there? Is, did Eve just add it herself? Did she, oh, she must have heard it from Adam because she wasn't there when God said it to right? So they have a logic, a narrative logic. OK, so now let's see what they, what they do with it. Um, where are we? The snake said to himself, since I cannot trip up Adam, I'll trip up Eve. Why can't I trip up Adam? Because he heard it. He heard it. He, know, yeah, he knows. He went and sat beside her and began, began chatting with her and said to her, if you say that the Holy Blessed One commanded us not to touch it, look, I will touch it and I will not die. And even you... You touch it, you will not die. What did the wicked snake do then? He went up and touched the tree with his hands and feet and shook it until its fruits fell. Oh, that wicked snake. Okay, but, but he's smart, right? The snake is smart. It says that explicitly. He's the shrewdest of all the animals in the garden. What did the snake prove? Yeah, that, that not that you're not supposed to touch the tree, but that you definitely don't die if you touch the tree, right? Which is what Adam had told Eve is, what did it say exactly? Said not to eat from the tree. Right. Lest you die. As in, yeah, Adam said you're going to die if you touch it as well. He didn't just say don't touch it, but he, said, he, he applied the same consequence to even touching the tree. And the snake said, that's not true. Look, I'm touching the tree. Look at me, I'm fine, right? Think about pot again, right? When you say, so it depends. Or if you say to your children, are you, you are forbidden from smoking pot in my house, fine. But if you say to your children, if you smoke pot, 
you're gonna go crazy and die. Well then, then they're gonna see other people smoking pot who seem to be just fine, and they're gonna say, well, what are they gonna say? My parents lied to me. And that's exactly what, he, what Eve says. Continue in the, in the story. Will you read for us? Um, again, the snake spoke. Again, the snake spoke to her and said, If you say the Holy Blessed One commanded us not to eat from the tree, look, I will eat from it, and I will not die. And even you, if you eat from it, you will not die. What did Eve think to herself? Since everything my master has told me so far has been lies, for in the beginning, Eve called Adam my master. <clears throat> so she took it and ate it and gave it to Adam, and he ate, as it says in Genesis 3. The woman saw that the tree was good for eating, for it was tempting to the eyes. In other words, in that Genesis thing there is also, they're, t they're, they're using the text to say, oh, after that interaction, then she looked and she said, wait a minute, I see something here that, like, that makes sense to me, that, that contradicts what I was told. And I said, there were some gender problematics here, like she referred to him as my master. Yeah. True, but it's also interesting that she, they're saying she stopped referring to him as my master, right? Because she saw, what's a, this guy doesn't, what's a, why is this guy telling me what to do? He doesn't, he, he's lying to me. I can't trust this guy, right? So she lost respect for Adam. And she lost respect for Adam because he taught her a law that wasn't really true, that wasn't really, um, um, that wasn't, uh, either wasn't the law, or he made up a law that actually had no, no ethical basis to it. It is, it wasn't, it wasn't, it is, uh, let's say, ethically good or right not to eat a, a, a fruit that will kill you. But it isn't, the, it isn't, it, you can't extend that to say you shouldn't even touch it, right? So what's the, um, what's the principle here? Like they're trying to map out some kind of principle here? Good. So, so I think what you're saying is, you, you, you want to finish? Great. So, so, so I think what you're saying is that there's a problem with fence building. Yes. The problem with fence, we were just told to make a fence for the Torah. That's, we extend the law beyond what it, where, where it lies because we want to cover more ground. We want to do good. Adam wanted to do good for Eve and for himself. He wanted to make sure there was no death. But there's a problem with over-legislating, which is that once, once everything, first of all, it becomes oppressive. Like, all of our behaviors are, are governed, and we don't want our to be controlled by dictates that, are, that have no re rhyme or reason to them. And when we start to figure out that, uh, I'm gonna use this example one more time, I'm not obsessed with pot, but it's a good example. Once we start to, once we start to figure out that pot's not so dangerous, then it's like, I just, I don't, I reject the whole premise that drugs are dangerous, right? right? And, and so by, by making offense of the Torah, we've actually ruined a, a, an actual ethical principle, which is that you should stay away from dangerous drugs. Yes? And is it okay to lie to protect, just to protect someone? Right, that's right, that's right. Part of what they're suggesting here is that Adam tried to do something good, but that he actually ended up doing something that um, that was that was deceiving. No, but right. he meant well. But he meant well. Now, is there a difference? Is there a difference between Adam 
and Rav from the earlier case. Is, is, is Rav the judge who said, no, 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 you have to pay them their wages. That's just the way it is. Don't you listen. Is there a difference between those two characters? Yeah. What's the difference? Rav made up his own rules. Rav made up his own rules. So did Adam. So did Adam. Okay, so it might, be, it might be a difference in the way they formulated it, but it comes to the same thing. Here's another difference. Rav is a legal authority. Rav is a judge. He's sitting on the bench, and he's going to have to make some decisions about, like, well, how is the law applied here? And what's the consequence of, right? Adam is a husband. <laughs> Adam is an equal, right? Is it different when it's your kids? I mean, I keep using this example of your kids doing, but actually we do have to make all kinds of rules for our kids, and some of them, some of them are not, some of them, we can't always explain the full truth because our kids won't always be ready for the full truth. So we create regulations. But if they're false, if, they're, if, we, if we give them falsehoods, then they come to see the way the whole system is, like, is, is lacking integrity, okay? Yeah. There's another difference, and that is that Adam preemptively made up a law, and the Rav retrospectively interpreted the law. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's right. And I think there's a key, key difference to that. In, if, if one is a mediator, one of the things a mediator often says is the law is a map of the territory. Real life is the territory itself. Mm -hmm. Meaning, mm -hmm. we have laws that guide us. You, you can't explicitly have a law for every set of myriad of hundreds of thousands of circumstances that you could find yourself in. But, so, so there's a limited number of things that you can legislate. But that's just a map of the human condition. There are things that aren't on the map. Okay. And Rob will look at those. Rob will look at those after the fact and says, now let's do the right thing. Okay. Okay, beautiful. Okay, so your, your formulation here is really, really helpful. And um, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time. So, uh, so, so I want to really dive into this last question. Um, and, and let's start with the way you're, you're, you're formulating, which is laws imprecise. Right? Law is stuff that we come up with to try and help us lead a better life. And we're trying to figure out, well, how much law do we need in order to create a good society? Right? So sometimes we extend and we say, oh, well, I think everybody should have health care. Let's make everybody pay for health care. And then find out that doesn't work. And we pull back. You know, like different societies try different things. And, but it is this sort of like this figuring where there's a good and we're trying to get there. And there's law and we're like, trying to use the law to push us towards the good, but we know we can't make the law all of the good because it won't make sense to compel everybody. So it's this sort of, this reckoning, this figuring. But the problem is, as we started with, the Jewish law is supposed to represent the absolute good, right? So why do we need any more or any less? Now, let me, let me bring the question to you um, in, in our case itself, because we, there's one big pro glaring problem here that we haven't accounted for. What's the actual law in this case? Case in quotes. What's the law? We said it already. Don't eat the fruit. 
What's the punishment? Okay, so they, she, they ate the fruit, right? What happened? They didn't die. So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right? We knew that Adam's law was false, but what, a, what about God's law? God lied too. God lied too? Well, now we got a real problem. Okay, now look, there, there, may, be, there may be ways, I don't, I, God forbid, I, many, I like, you're gonna leave this, uh, Rabbi Kasher came and he said he told us so he could eat chicken cheeseburgers and that God's a liar. No. <laughs> No, there may be a way, <laughs> there may be a way of, of counting for this. There, actually, it, within the narrative, there may be a way of accounting for this. Right? They didn't die. But how, did God lie? Is there, can someone come to God's defense here? They did eventually. They did eventually. They did eventually. A lot of people, and I think it's in some ways very straightforward to read the story, is they would never have died. They were just going to live eternally in the garden, and things change. And if you look at like, their punishments in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, we read, By the sweat of your, your brow shall you get bread to eat until you return to the ground. First mention of death here. For from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So it may be that what God meant was when you eat from the fruit of the tree, then I'm going to have to banish you out of the garden, and you will become mortal. So you will die on that day, meaning you will become mortal on that day. Oh, God was telling the truth. But, but there's still a problem, right? Because God wasn't clear. It did, that didn't seem right. It didn't seem like what God was saying. It took us a second to figure out, if this indeed is, is the explanation, it took us a second. So we have been looking at a problem with Adam's legislation, right? But subtly, I think part of what the rabbis might be doing is saying there might, there's, there might have been a problem with God's legislation. Not that it was wrong, but that it was unclear. And maybe that's always the problem with God's le legislation. Remember, what was the law that was applicable in the case of, of Rav and, his, and, and, and Rabba, Rabba's workers? Well, you've got to pay them at the end of the day. Well, what does that mean? What if they break my stuff? Right? Do I have to still pay them at the end of the day? Well, we don't know. As you said, we have to go back and we have to apply the law because the law in, it, in itself is not, is not always, maybe not ever fully clear. And so we have to figure out how to apply the law. Right? And in figuring out how to apply the law, we're, sometimes we're going to extend it and then sometimes we're going to say, no, 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 we've got to pull it back a little bit. But as we do that, extending it and pulling back, what is the thing that is, that is negotiating our extensions? Well, first of all, just a an attempt to truly understand what the law is. But another thing is, well, look, uh, we don't ever fully understand ethics. That we said at the beginning. We never know what's the absolute right and wrong. But the truth is we never fully understand the law itself. The law purports to be exact. but we don't. Ex so as we try to extend it, we try to extend it in the right way. We try to make sure it, it applies in such a way that it does the good for people, that it allows them to live a good life, that it builds a better society. And so sometimes we're going to say, you know, the original system didn't require us to give each other health care, but it's just looking like people are dying in the streets. Right? So it just in order to build a more perfect society, we're just going to do it. But then we see, oh, well, but you know, I mean, you could, we, can, we can play this debate out. I'm not, I'm not taking a side on that. But you can see the way, starting with basic principles, that we're our best attempt to create a good and ethical society, we don't have enough. And so we try to extend it given more principles.
Because after all, we're just trying to keep people from dying from eating the fruit. We're just trying to keep people from going home hungry. But wait a minute, like, what, wait a minute, what about, what about the money that I spent on the day? Like, aren't, aren't you worried about my business? Like, lots of, it gets complicated. It gets complicated, okay? Um, here's the sort of concluding thought, and, and we'll sort of, we'll close after this. But this, remember, the, the whole thing started with make a fence for the Torah. It seemed like a, it was a full, it was like a full-throated, uh, 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 celebration of this principle of over-legislating, and yet see where we end up here. You want to read for us? Last, last piece, and who was it? And who was it that caused, caused her to touch the fruit? It was the fence that Adam made around his words. Because of this, they say, if a person makes a fence around his words, he will not be able to live up to his words. As they also say, a person should not add upon the words that he hears. Rabbi Osi says, better a fence ten handbreadths high that stands than one that is a hundred and false. Oh, okay. And now see, we end at the end with like careful about making fences at all. Yeah. But they haven't exactly tossed it out. There's another, first of all, this is, this is an important text because it's a little bit like Eve's, Eve's revenge. Like Eve get, gets blamed a lot for eating the fruit. But what they're saying is, no, no, no. The problem wasn't that Eve, Eve ate the fruit. The problem is that Ad, Adam taught her Torah wrong, right? That was the problem. But that aside, there's a principle here. If a person makes a fence around his words, he will not be able to live up to his words, right? A better offense that is 10 handbreadths high and stands than one that is 100 and false. What's the principle there? What, what, what? They aren't saying don't build a fence. You have a nice little fence, right? But not a big one. What's the principle? Don't go too far. Don't go too far. Be careful and not over-legislate. Yeah, be careful to not over-legislate. So, and why? why? Why don't we want to over-legislate? Because then people won't obey the Yeah, if there are too many rules, then people, if people can't breathe, they're going to say, well, the whole system's bunk. I don't want to live this kind of life, right? And frankly, there are going to be different ethics at play. Some people are going to want to live this kind of life, and some people are going to want to live this kind of life. Some people will be OK smoking pot, and some people will not. Right? Some people um, uh, will, 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 will uh, benefit from welfare, and it will give them just what they need to go out and, and, and make a living, and it will restore you know. Some people will never be able to work because they're, they're unfortunate. And then some people are lazy, probably. There's lots of different. We, it's hard to come up with like, a system which actually covers all of the cases. But we're trying. And if, we, if our law is too small, then it doesn't do enough good in society. But if our law is too big, then it won't stand, right? So, so I'm back where, where you were at in this, in this sort of place of trying to figure out the line between law and ethics. And we don't actually have a, a clear line, but there is a distinction. It isn't as I was sort of first taught in my earliest years that it's, it's one on one. Just follow the law and you'll live a good life. It's never gonna be that simple. We're always, it's almost like needles weaving, you know? There's law and there's ethics and we're sort of like coming, intersecting and then pulling away, intersecting and pulling away. And, and somehow in that process, we, we weave together a fabric that is supposed to hold us and comfort us and keep us warm. We're trying to like, we're trying to weave something together here, but it's, it's complicated. It's complicated and, and we're trying to do the right thing, but we don't exactly know what it is. And law is the vehicle that helps us get there, but it will never get us all the way there. So, so, so we have to, we have to try our best, but we have to also um, try to do so with a great deal of humility. So I think I'm out of time. It's wonderful learning with you all. Thank you. Okay.
So if, if, uh, if folks need to head out, feel free. But why don't we take a few minutes for questions, uh, if there are any. Uh, great. So, make a fence around your words. Way that the first person made a fence around his words. Mm. Was Adam the first person to make a fence around his words? Yeah, yeah. It, well, yes, yes, Adam was the first person to make a fence around his words. But, you know, the way that this text starts, it's so funny that you say this, because I actually edited it, um, because I thought it'd be just too confusing. Um, they start by saying, um, make a fence around your words just as the Holy Blessed One made a fence around his words, just as Adam made a fence around his words, just as, and they go through all kinds of cases where sometimes it seems like even God is saying more than, is ab than God absolutely wants, right? And they don't say it about the, the, the case that we, uh, like they give other examples, which are too much for us to go into right now, but I think implied here is that um, God also made a fence around God's words and it didn't work out so well. God said, don't touch this tree or you'll die. Maybe what God should have said was, listen, you know, it's I think you'll be best served by just staying in this garden forever. It'll be such a good life. And if you eat from this tree, you'll have knowledge and knowledge is so complicated that like, you'll, need, you'll need to break, break out of this system and then you're gonna have to work hard. And in other words, like God didn't, Maybe they were too young to understand. Maybe that God, God, so God just made a fence, right, is the idea. God made a fence, and so, um, and so too do we make it. We understand the, the, the impetus to make a fence, but, it's, but we should be careful. My parents make fences. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And in this case, God was really the parent, yeah. So the whole thing you're talking about this, it occurs to me that when one makes a fence, it's to keep something in, even mm -hmm. if you Right. And so it occurs to me that there is this um, concern <coughs> that how do you, this is so big, I'm sort of confusing myself, but how do you keep Torah within that fence but not acknowledge that there are other things outside that are, that are inevitably, if you're going to live in this world, inevitably going to push back <coughs> and try to go over the fence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you took you you are taking us to to a very big place. No, which is I, I sort of for the purposes of a one hour conversation, I did like a, a sort of an unfair thing, which is just to like I just sort of cut off the possibility of discussing what happens when law and ethics are in conflict. That's a huge topic, which is indeed a, a, a live topic in Jewish conversation. Um, but for our purposes today, we, we're we're just talking about like how much they overlap. But you're right, like you know today we have like a big conversation around what we do with homosexuality in Jewish law, because we now have a new understanding of, like, of the ethical norms around that, that sort of life that you know, seems in, in direct contradiction to the law. So now what do we do? Do we reinterpret the law? Do we, do we just say, well, the law is the law? Like, so, but, but I think that's a very different kind of conversation than saying, no, the law is fine. It's just a question of how far do we go with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you're right. Yeah. One more. One more. Thinking through all this, also about authority, how you know there's like Adam's fence, there's God's fence, and we live in a time where people, you know, do it yourself, and we all want to have empowered, you know, law and Judaism, and you know, we create a lot of our Jewish life, and also on the other side, you know, fences upon fences. That so, you know, who do we trust to make these fences now, and what does that mean about authority? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. 
I, I, I like, no, I almost want to just let it sit because I think the question in itself is like really the place that we, that we need to end. I mean, you know, with that moment where Rav says, is that the law? Or Rabba Barbarchanan says to Rav, is that the law? And he says, yeah, it is because of this stuff. And, and Rav gave them a garment. He said, okay, that's, in order for any of this to work, the, uh, I don't know who, but the, the, author, the legal authorities have to be people that we, we trust, right? What happened, that's, it's, it's, I'm so glad you, you ended with this question because that's the key to the whole thing is that Eve lost trust in Adam. She suddenly realized like Adam's just making stuff up. He's just like telling me, th- like, this is, like, he's not respecting me. He's not, he's not really communicating with me, right? So, you know, that's part of why the conversations around the Supreme Court in our society right now are so delicate is because we have to believe in the Supreme Court or else the whole thing falls apart, right? Like, what happens if the Supreme Court tells the president the president has to do something and the president just ignores them, right? Like, then we're in, in un- uncharted territory. Like, these... these the, right? What happens if we don't believe that the Supreme Court is populated with people? If we think the whole thing is political, right? Then we start to lose faith in it, right? So part of this is like, do we have faith that, if part of it is, a, is an injunction to judges, like, hey, be careful, right? Heavy masunim madim, be deliberate in judgment, be careful, because this is what's at stake. And part of it is, and it is, is a message to us that, you know, or question to us, the question you're asking, who do we trust? Do we trust the rabbis? Do you trust me? Do we trust Moses? Do we trust the Torah? Like, wh- where, where are we placing our authority? And in order to do so, you have to believe that if I tell you something, I'm not just like whimsical, arbitrary, over-moralizing, lazy, um, uh, stupid. You have to believe that I'm doing this with thought and maybe I'm not getting it exactly right, but I've studied a long time and you trust, okay, because in the end, and this just brings us to the, to the beginning. In the end, we want some kind of order in society. So we all want people who act as authorities, even though we don't like the word authority. We need somebody to make the decision at the end of the day. But that person better be someone we trust, or else, like, I'm not going to follow that law, you know? So, okay. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetmidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.